Luke chapter 1. We want to look at Mary's song. Mary's song. Verse 46 to 56. 46 to 56. We sing the Christmas carols at Christmas. And these, this is one of the five early Christmas carols that were sung. This is one of the five. So let's look here at Luke chapter 1, 46 to 56. Thank you for bringing your Bible. I know the phones are handy, but it's good to have that hard copy in front of us where we can write a note, underline a word. And uh, folks, if we're not taking notes from something that God says to us in the preaching, uh, we're missing out on a great opportunity for us to grow in our, our faith. All right, verse, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath shown strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath opened his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke, as he spake rather, to our fathers to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned into her own home. Of course, you realize Luke chapter 1 is telling us about the incarnation, when God became flesh, when Jesus was conceived in, in Mary. And now we sing Christmas carols, and that's a tradition for Christians to sing about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and rightly so, we should sing special songs about the coming of Christ because of the great event. He came to a cradle and he went to a cross and one day he'll be crowned. And, and so we should celebrate it. And these songs are, are sung in honor of Jesus and to remind us, remind us that it all began with the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world. And as we mentioned last week, we should not compromise that truth because, uh, you know, the, the world does not want to accept the virgin birth. But if they do not accept the virgin birth, neither do they know salvation in Jesus Christ. You lose the power of the gospel if you don't have a pure Jesus Christ born of a virgin to die on the cross. Now, they sing these songs. They sing these songs, and there's, this is only one of five songs in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. There's a song sung by Mary, and, and there's actually two women 
and, and, and two men, and then the angels sang a song, and I'll let you look that up. But Mary's song is uh, to magnify the Lord. And if you look in, uh, in, in Protestant church uh, today, they talk, uh, talk about the, the, the magnificent, magnificent uh, being Mary's song. That's kind of where that, that comes from. It comes from the ideal of this song that Mary sang. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. I mean... God's just revealed to her that she's going to carry the Son of God in her womb. And she's excited that God chose her. You know, actually, every virgin girl in the time of Mary and before until all through the promises wanted to be that one that was chosen to bear the Messiah. Now, they didn't understand at all how it would take place. But every firstborn son, they would think, is it, is it him? Is this the Messiah? And Mary is rejoicing that God looked over all of those that were of other times and, and said, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose you to bear my son. Now, you and I need to rejoice in this. Of all of the 8 billion people in the world, isn't it magnificent that God chose us? To be saved. So she says in verse 46, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And let me tell you something about our salvation. It's the same miracle that the miracle that brought Jesus into the womb of Mary. It's the same miracle. God birthed us into the family of God. It's all a miracle. And we need to magnify the Lord. If you never get over it, something's wrong with it, right? I know sometimes we get stale and stagnant and dry and dead bones need to be revived again. But let's never get over the truth that we've come to Christ and been born of the Spirit of God. Now she goes on to say in verse 47, he said, she said, And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Now do you notice the separation of the soul and spirit? By the way, this is taught in the Bible. It's a, it's, a, it's a doctrinal truth that man is three-part. Tripartite, they call that. We are body, soul, and spirit. Now, some want to believe in, in only soul and body. But the Bible teaches body, soul, and spirit. And Paul, when he, when he speaks to the Thessalonians, he says, I want you to grow. I want you to be uh, prosperous in your body, in your spirit, and in your soul. Now, he talks about the body first and, and goes to the soul. We talk about body, soul, and spirit, okay? And so the truth is there is a separation between our soul and our spirit. By the way, I know some of you not want to hear this, but your dog has a soul. Some people don't like to hear that. Oh, no, preacher, they're not going to spend eternity. Just because you have a soul don't mean you're going to live forever in heaven. There's going to be souls in hell. Right? I don't know where the dog will be. I'm not worried about that today. Right? But we have a soul. In our soul is our spirit. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And so Mary rejoices in her soul. It says, first of all, my soul doth magnify the Lord. She's excited about it. Nothing wrong with that, right? 
Now, the further north you get, the less outward expression of, of, of worship you see. I guess I've never been to Alaska, but I bet that church is frozen over. <laughs> further south you go to the equator, the more people let their soul just unwind. And people are different, right? Now, now here's the difference. Because you're expressing it outwardly is no uh, different than the ones that don't. It's not the soul that counts. Of course, I like for you to get excited in the Lord, right? But notice she says, my spirit. Verse 47, he, she said, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Here's the deal. Our soul does not reach up and touch God. It is our spirit that reaches up and touches God. It is our spirit that God reached down and birthed when we were saved. When you are born the first time, that's why you need to be born again. When you're born the first time, you're born with a living soul, but a dead spirit. Ephesians 2, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. The spirit of man died in the garden. And every child born, man or woman, little girl, little boy, either they're all born dead spiritually. And it's, that spirit's not resurrected, raised up, quickened, made alive until we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and we're born of the Spirit of God. So the soul is within us. And our spirit is in our soul, and it is our spirit that we can worship God and connect with God. That's verse 47. Now, Mary is worshiping the Lord. Her soul is emotional. She's stirred up, and nothing wrong with that. And her spirit is, is in connection with her Savior. Her sa- Notice it says, God, my Savior. It's the connection with God. And so... Jesus even made a commentary on worship in John 4, verse 23. He says, The Father desires those that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Not just an outward act. Listen, folks, you can jump and shout and raise your hand and and walk on the pews. Don't walk on these chairs. They'll fall. And still, it's not worship. It's not necessarily worship. Worship begins in our spirit. Yeah. And, and you say, well, preacher, something starts in my spirit, it gets into my soul. I can understand that. I can understand that. So, now she's rejoicing. She, she's rejoicing. And, you know, she, she sings this song. And, by the way, she references at least ten Old Testament scripture in her song here. She references ten Old Testament references in her song. What does that tell you about Mary? I wonder if she read her Bible every day. I wonder if she knew the Word of God. Oh, did it just happen, do that she uh, pounced upon these verses? No, no, she was a student of, of God's Word, and she's a little girl. She's a teenager, right? You say, well, our preacher, she, shouldn't, she should have been... Hey, you know, the values that we have today are ever-changing, aren't they? I, we had a deacon here one time in our church, and, and him and his wife, she was 14 when they got married. And we, try, we tried to kick him out as being a deacon, but we didn't. 
No, in the 50s, that was not odd, was it? Those things change, and, and don't get upset with them. They do change. But Mary, she knew the word. She referenced the Old Testament passages. She draws from Hannah's song uh, from 1 Samuel 2. And so we, we think about this, that Mary, although she was a choice of God, she wasn't a random choice. It wasn't just anybody that God chose. God chose her. And she was following through with those things that uh, indicate a person that fear the Lord. And we're going to learn from this text that it is those that fear God that God touches and God moves and God uses. Now think about Mary. She's just a poor peasant girl. Just She... She was poor. She had no way to elevate herself. She loved the Lord and she loved Scripture. I mean, God is no respecter of persons, is he? If there's anything about it, God respects those that have less than those that have more. And as Christians, we need to realize that God does not respect persons. We need to love people. And we need to love those that love God and those that seek God, love them more. Now, she's a person of the word. Who are you? Where are you there? Who are you? Will God use you without you being in the word? I think not. I think not. You want God to work special in your life? Well, you need to seek him. Early seek him. Now, let me add this, just as a footnote. Of all the praise that we see and hear, all we witness, if people are not in the Word of God, that worship is shallow. Shallow. It gets deeper as we get into the Word of God. Now, well, well, time out. There's never a time when you outgrow your need to nourish your soul from the Word of God. Say, preacher, man, I used to be in the Bible. I used to study the Word. I used to have my devotion, but... I learned so much, I just kind of laid it aside. Never, 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 never. God has something new every day. And you never get grown enough that you don't need soul nourishment from God's Word. So we see her worship. And her worship is connected to the Word. Her worship is connected to the Word. Our preaching needs to be connected to the Word. I think it needs to be tied right in the middle of God's Word. I don't know about the preaching that starts with some story outside of the Scripture and searches the Scriptures to add one or two verses to try to make it a good sermon. I don't believe in that. I believe it needs to be centered on the Word. All of it. That's where our worship begins, in the Word. Amen. So she rejoices in God, she says, my Savior. Now the song has three stanzas, if I can say it that way. The first one, she's rejoicing over what God had done regarding her. What he had done for her, herself. Look at verse 48. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me Blessed God regarded her. I can say this from Scripture. If you disregard God, 
he will disregard you. I mean, not an innocent disregarder, but if, if you turn your back on God, be careful. Be careful. Now, God regarded, he said, she said, her low estate, meaning that she was nothing. She was a nobody. Mary, uh, she didn't think of herself as something special. If you'll think here, you've got to get the right concept here. She's not thinking, oh, I'm so special, God chose me. That's not what she's thinking. She's thinking, God chose me, and that makes me special. Do you see the difference? I think a lot of Christians need to get this focus right. You're just, and, and we live in a day, we live in a ta- day where people have got to be aff- affirmed, 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 affirmation, 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 positive, 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 right? Oh, man. And, and people are affirmation dependent. You've got to make me feel good when I come to church. And if you'll make me feel real good and real special, I might come back. Where's that at in the, in the scripture? The Bible teaches us that we need to comfort those that are hurting and those that are comfortable we need to irritate. (laughs) You can find that in Scripture, folks. She's rejoicing in that the Lord reached down to her where she was and she viewed herself as not someone special, but you can see her humility in in the song, her humility. Let me ask you something. Are you special? Or are you humble? The Bible teaches us that we have to humble ourselves. There is within mankind the nature to stand up to God and to shake our fists. That's in our nature. But God doesn't use the lofty. The lofty have their mind on themselves. Over in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 6, it says this. But he giveth more grace, wherefore God saith, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Be careful of pride. We all have to deal with it. Humble ourselves. Humble ourselves that God may lift us up. He says that in James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Let me read it. Submit yourself therefore to God. Submit yourself. Submit yourself. Submit. When you get down on your knees to pray, I hope you're submitting yourself. That is a sign of submission, but it needs to be from the heart. When we come to church and we follow the rules and we, we, whatever we do and wherever we are, and we submit ourselves to the surroundings and the people around us, and when we only step up when we're needed to step up, that is submission. He says, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and Satan will flee from you. But here's what happens in mankind. We submit ourselves to the devil and we resist God. And guess whose farm we're on? On the farm with Satan. Some of us have trouble sitting still through the preaching service. Some of us have trouble being disciplined to go to the Bible study. We need to submit ourselves that we might learn. 
We'd rather be on our own doing what we want to do. We'd rather be mad or angry. We're, you know, we, we had this in, in our, our, our new Christians class today, our, our, uh, trying to get on track, uh, that there's three th- stages of the Christian life. There's the little children, there's the young adult, and then there's the mature age. How many of us are those little children? We don't want to submit ourselves. We don't have a temper tantrum. We want to go where we want to go, do what we want to do when we want to do it. How many of us have grown to the place where we can submit ourselves? So he said, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and the devil will flee from you. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinner. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Through the word of God that happens. That's how it happens. Some of us, as I said, we have trouble just sitting there and taking preaching, taking Bible study. Submit yourself. Submit yourself. We can't submit you. You know, it's like the little boy. His dad got on to him and said, you sit still. And the little boy said, Daddy, I'm sitting still on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Yeah, we a lot of us there, amen? Yeah, verse 51, it says, and... He hath shown mercy with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their own hearts. Isn't it amazing how God does that? He said, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their own heart. Here it is. The proud think they got one up on God. And that's all of us if we don't humble ourselves. But the proud thinks that they have one up on God. I'm, I'm one step ahead. Oh, I'm not one of you little foolish Christians that believe in the virgin birth and, and believe in the Bible and believe in salvation, believe in eternity. When you're dead, you're dead. That's what they believe. But notice, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their own heart. God doesn't even have to do anything. You say God's going to get them. No, God doesn't even have to get them. They get themselves. All, the, all that you need to destroy yourself is within you. Everything you need to ruin your life is within you. You need no help, but usually you'll find help. <laughs> Verse 52. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. Let me tell you something. Jesus taught us it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to go to heaven. Now, don't get, don't get mixed up there. Don't think that his riches are going to cause him to fall away from God. No. His satisfaction, his self-accomplishment is going to keep him from ever coming to realize he needs God. You say, preacher, was that a... Was that a a gate, one of the gates, the eye of the needle gate that that camel had to get down on his knees to go through? Or is he talking about a needle, a threading needle? Hey, it could be either one. Well, you didn't like that answer, did you? You thought I was going to trap myself. It can be either one. There is the gate, right? And the camel would get on their knees to go through. Hey, that's symbolic of humbling yourself. Bowing down. Not just physically, but in our heart. Bowing down. So, God puts down the mighty. How does he put them down? Within their own selves. God doesn't have to do an act of sinfulness or wickedness. It just happens because our self-destruction is built in if we don't humble ourselves before God. I think of King Saul. King Saul, he outsmarted God, didn't he? 
He was smarter than God. He said, I don't have to do what God says. I got a better ideal. That's exactly what he said, wasn't it? And God said, your rebellion has caused you to forfeit your seat as king. You will be replaced. He did it to himself. And here it is, our whole life. I'd like to blame somebody else, wouldn't you? There's no one to blame, is there? My own destruction is built within myself. I must humble myself to overcome myself. Right. Think about another Saul. There was another Saul. He was was killing Christians on his way to Damascus. He was full of pride. He'll tell you that. He was arrogant. He was educated. He was everything. Thank God he was a rich man. He was an educated man. Thank God there's hope for the educated and the rich and the wealthy. What did he do? God looked down at him, shined a light on him. He bowed. He fell on his face before God, and he got up. Before he got up, he said, Lord. Did he humble himself? Yes. He was humbled by God, wasn't he? And he responded to it. He humbled himself. Lord, what would you have me to do? Whatever you want me to do. Hey, that's a sign of really meeting Christ. It's not me anymore. It's you. What do you want me to do, Lord? I'm on board. Now, God responds according to our hearts. I was speaking to an atheist this week. I hope I didn't tell anybody this story already because you're going to get bored. You're going to hold it, you know, hear it again. I was speaking to an atheist uh, this week in my witnessing and uh, knocked on his door. He had come to the door. Man, he was happy. And I remember last time we argued. We argued last time. And... Uh, he said, yeah, you haven't been seeing me very long, uh, very often. I said, no, it's been a while. <laughs> I'm not knowing what to do, right? And I just really had a, I had a real cordial conversation with this gentleman because what I'm trying to do is build a bridge, right? I'm trying to build a bridge, and, and the bridge got blowed up the last time. And I really didn't know what to do. I'm thinking my only help is the Holy Spirit here, right? And so apparently the Holy Spirit just wanted me to build a bridge. So I built a bridge and had a good conversation. I got in the car and left. But when I got in the car, I got to thinking about the atheists. The atheists. I'm thinking, the atheist has a proud heart. They stand up to God. They really are against the Christian faith. They're really against God, right? So I'm thinking, maybe they need to hear this. That God will never speak to you until you fear Him. God doesn't speak to people that are not, that don't want to hear. Right? So, there it is. That's my answer now for those that claim to be an atheist. They're just proud, they don't want to hear. Mary was of a humble spirit. God spoke to her. Now she's praising God. And she's thanking him that Lord, the Lord reached down to one who is a low estate. And let me say this to the teenagers in the room. She was a teenager. No one's going to argue that, right? She was a teenager. Look what God did through a teenager. You don't have to be 18 to be used by God. John, they tell us that John most likely was a teenager when he was an apostle. 
I don't know what it is. We think that people have to be a certain certain age. Now, I do realize that to be a priest, you had to be 30. Yeah, to, to run for president, you got to be 35, right? Preacher, don't have nothing to do with the Bible. You're right. I just said it to make, make a point. But folks, God can use anyone that has a broken heart, that can see themselves for who they really are, which is nothing. And when we start seeing ourselves as more than nothing, we need to go back to the beginning and start over again, don't we? 1 Corinthians, I want you to mark this in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Paul is opening up to the Corinthians. They were a proud, they were a child, they were children. They were not grown up. They were very immature. They were fussing and fighting over everything, and they all wanted their way, and they all had favorite preachers and everything like this. And, and so they say, uh, Peter, Paul's my favorite preacher, or they'd say to Paul, hey, Apollos, uh, he, he, he's a lot better preacher than you are. I mean, they all did these childish things. They all did these childish things, just like Christians do today. And notice he said, for you see your calling, brethren. You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, in other words, in the world's knowledge, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen, chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things that are not to bring to naught things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his sight. God chose Mary. Now, I, I got a good friend, he, he's very wealthy. He said, preacher, he says, I'm, I'm glad God didn't say not any. Right? God didn't say not any, he said not many. Praise God for that. There's room at the cross for you. And God will take a little nothing and nobody, man or woman, and he'll make whoever he wants to make at them if you just keep your eyes on him. And if we take our eyes off of him, he has to hedge it back a little bit, right? Yeah. Well, Mary, God chose you. Look at our summary. Verse 48, it says, For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. Handmaiden means slave. Slave. She looked at herself as a slave. Notice that. God didn't say she was a slave. She saw herself as a bond slave. And we should view ourselves like that. That we are a slave and we're bound to a cross. Jesus, when he said, take my yoke upon you for, I'm, for it's easy, he wants us to get into the cross with him. Now, he said, she said, he said, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth... All generations will call me the mother of God. Did it say that? No. All generations should not call her the mother of God. Her, her body was just in rental. Amen. Just rental. 
She was a woman that went on to, to marry and have children. All right? She is called blessed. blessed. And, and she said, what a blessing. And now she's speaking prophetically. She is a prophet, isn't she? Right? She is speaking prophetically. Verse 49, he says, For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. God has done great things in me. And he is holy. Just a note here. There was nothing unholy about the conception of Jesus. Right? Nothing unholy about it. The Spirit of God hovered over her and the Son of God came into her. The the Word, the seed. And she was with child. Amen. God had done great things. God wants to do great things in our life. Now look at her praise in the last part of verse 49. 49 and it says, she says, holy is his name. Holy is his name. Pure, without sin, without any. God is holy, and he's holy in this whole process. And so Mary is praising, magnifying the Lord for what he had done in her. Now secondly, the second stanza, uh, she said, uh, what he will do for others. This is what she covers in her song. Look, look at verse 50. And his mercy. How many want justice? How many want mercy? The only hope we got. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Again, back to my statement about atheism. My, his mercy is on them that fear him. The atheist does not fear God. They actually say, I'm going to stand up and tell the world there is no God. Atheism is, take the A off and you got theism, right? So you have to deny the existence of God. Keep that in mind. What, uh, what do you want from God? Justice or mercy? Mercy, of course. God helps. God saves those that fear him. God works in the life of those that fear him from generation to generation. She could have been looking backwards, and she could have been looking forward, and she was probably doing both, if we think about it in the prophetic sense, from generation to generation. How does God save in the Old Testament? How does God save in the New Testament? The common thing is the fear of God, faith to trust him. That's the common denominator. Those that do not fear him disregard him and they're disregarded by God. Psalms 34 verse 11, it says, Come ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. We need to learn. We need to know the fear of God, right? 86, 11 of Psalms says, Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth uh, unite my heart to fear thy name. You see, the sign, it's, this is old stuff. No fear, no fear, no fear, no fear. You better fear. Yeah, what it'll do for others. She's rejoicing in that. Now, verse 52. He hath put down the mighty from their seats. And exalted them of a low degree. Mary could have been saying he overlooked 
all the palaces. He overlooked all of the wonderful homes and came to me. Verse 53, he had filled the hungry with good things and the rich he had sent empty away. Again, the thought of, of, the, of the, the, the eye of the needle. When we're self-sufficient, it's impossible, it's impossible for us to be saved until we realize our need to be saved. The rich are often not hungry. I don't know, I, I don't, I've been hungry a lot, but it's not because I really needed to eat, amen? I wanted to. But God looks and he feels. And for sure, this can be spiritualized that he feels the hungry in heart for truth. Mary had tasted, and I think she got more hungry. Now thirdly, the last one, what God, about God, the, the third part of her song is that God does not forget his promises. Now that's good news for us. God does not forget his promises. Look at verse 54. He hath opened his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has helped, hoping, that means helped, Israel. God made promises to Abraham, and he said through Israel this promise will be fulfilled. Of course, that's Jacob with his new name, right? Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Israel, through Israel. God made the promise. He's going to send a seed, right? A seed. The Messiah is going to come through that family, through that Abraham's this, a lineage. And God kept his promise. He kept his promise. God is a promise-keeping God. And it looked impossible. If you get on down through Luke, you'll see nothing is impossible with God. You, if you see it really, Joseph, Mary, God's choice for them to, to be the stepfather of Jesus and, and for Mary to be the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, that don't look like a good, good idea. Why would God come to a peasant couple a spouse to be married. Why didn't he come to the king's palace? Because God just wanted to show us something. He'll pick the lowliest and he'll lift them up. God came. It looked hopeless. And, and that's Isaiah 53 too. I want to read this verse. For he shall grow up. Speaking of Jesus. He shall grow up before him, the father, as a tender plant. And as a root out of dry ground, it looked like there was no hope for Israel. You say, preacher, there's no hope for Israel. There's never no hope when God's involved. Preacher, there's no hope for Christianity. There's no hope for my family. There's no hope for my life. There's no hope for whatever. Hey, there's always hope because there's always a great God in heaven. He said he'd come up out of a, uh, as a tender plant, a root out of dry ground. He had no former comeliness. He didn't look like he'd be a savior. He didn't look like he'd be uh, anything special. There's no beauty for us to desire him. Folks, we better be careful how we judge God. We don't know what he's doing. We don't know how he's working. We need to just trust him. Yep, trust him. 
God kept his promise. He helped them. He helped them. Now let me close with this. In verse 55. And he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Make sure we understand that. He kept his promise. Verse 54. He hath opened his servant. Hoping. Helped. What that word means, the original word of hoping, means that he goes along aside him. He goes along aside him. Now, salvation is totally a work of God, right? We understand that. But always involved is our humility and trusting him, right? And so in salvation, God not only comes inside of us, but he comes along beside us. And that's what that reference in Matthew 11, 28 to 30 is all about. Taking his yoke upon him. It's all a work of God, but in reality what happens on our side of the coin of salvation is we accept him and we become one with him and we say yes to Jesus. It's more than just a mental decision. It's our spirit reaches up and is connected with God and we're saved. Hard to explain it, isn't it? It's a miracle. It's a miracle. But when we get saved, we enter a yoke with Jesus. And that's how he goes beside us. And that yoke is the cross. The cross. As a Christian... This old symbol of the old rugged cross here is a symbol of Christianity. And when we become a Christian, we bear that cross with Jesus. We carry that cross. We don't deny that cross. Our salvation was in the death. Amen. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The propitiation for our sins. And he arose from the grave. Lord of lords. King of kings. God saved us, folks, when this child Jesus came to a cradle and he walked up a hill to a cross. And one day we'll crown him King of kings. Lord of lords. Yeah. Let's enter that yoke with him. Invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. (laughs) You say, preacher... Salvation is a work of God. Yes, but then there's, a, there's that side that we're on that we say, yes, Jesus, be my Savior. Do that if you haven't. Trust Jesus as your Savior. And if you have trusted him, make sure you're in the yoke because it's easy and you'll find rest there. Don't be fighting with God. Don't be, don't be trying to do it your own way. Do it his way. Let's bow our heads. Quietly stand if you would. We're going to have prayer and then we're going to have an open invitation and sing a song where you can come at this altar, nail, pray. You can come tonight, today and be saved. Whatever your need is. Lord, we come before you. Pray, Lord, that you'd have your way in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would 
be like Mary. Just be astounded that you came to us. Be willing to surrender to you, Lord. Help us, Lord, to let you have your way in our lives. I pray, Lord, for anyone that's not a Christian, that today they would come and trust you, Lord, as their Savior. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all sing. Would you come to Christ? Would you come, if you're a Christian and need to return to your walk with God, would you come? Today, if you need to follow the Lord in baptism, we encourage you to come to follow Jesus. need to come, you come today. to get off his pride to be saved. <coughs> Anyone? have our ushers come. Jojo did a pretty good job today, didn't he?